Welcome to Don't Say NFT, the show where we don't say NFT. I'm Donnie Clutterbuck, and I'll be your host. Welcome to Don't Say NFT, the show where we don't say NFT. My name's Donnie Clutterbuck. I'm going to take a second to thank CryptoSapiens for producing this and Bankless DAO for the ongoing support of everything, including this. Uh, that being said, this episode's on collectibles. And the point of this show is not such that we don't say NFT, although maybe that is kind of the point. Uh, because we can exercise different ways of expressing what we mean. It's like when you, you challenge yourself not to use curse words. Like you have to find better words, right? Like so we can act with a bit more intent. But nobody's going to hit a buzzer if you say NFT. NFT is not the wrong word. In a lot of cases, it is the right word. And the point of the whole series is to explore from sort of like a philosophical perspective what blockchain is and how it's helping us facilitate these evolutionary urges that we can't help but continue to chase down in a variety of different ways. And one of those is through collectibles. So the first two, let me pull up the list here in case anybody's not familiar. The first episode was on blockchain and it was just a really base level overview of what this is all operating on. And I don't think to traders or collectors, blockchain is like a not intimate knowledge of blockchain or the many blockchains that are out there is really not a super big deal. But once you start getting very heavily into this, you begin to see the big differences between different styles of storage and transfer. Um, so I wanted to lay that out as a base level thing at first or get a, get a conversation going about it. And then the next was about ownership and then the following about identity. And this one will be about collectibles. And the following after this will be reputation, community, memes, artifacts, provenance, and on or off chain, et cetera, art, you know, so collectibles ties into identity and reputation and memes and artifacts. I think every one of these things overlaps with every other one. But the point of this one episode is to deep dive what a collectible is, why we use them, and how we ought in the future potentially. And the way that I would like to start this out in the, in the recorded fashion that we're hoping this gives us uh, is the same way as I started the last one out. The fundamental question so the last the last episode being about identity, we talked a lot about what our PFPs are, why we have a PFP, how it allows us to express ourselves, how it allows us to hide behind something, and how it allows us to use the power of a separate group, a larger group than ourselves, in order to strengthen a message we're already trying to put out. So that we got through that side of this. The question is now, you have a PFP. Why do you hold anything else? What is it about everything else in your wallet, even though no one else can see it? What is it about all that stuff that furthers who you are and how you navigate every piece of this space? And uh, I would like to say we don't have to use the hand system. If you have something to say, do raise your hand and I'll get to you. Otherwise, I'm just going to go around the room and ask people what they think. Perchi, welcome. I don't know if you know any of the people in this space because you're from such like a separate portion of uh, what's going on. You want to tell us a little bit about <laughs> you and why you hold more than your PFP? Hi. Thank you for having me on the space. I, I'm really excited about this conversation. Uh, just everything you were saying, Donnie, it's very interesting. Looking forward to uh, to diving into all that. Yeah, so many different uh, directions to go there. So I, for those who don't know me, uh, I'm Perchi. Uh, I'm an artist. I make mostly crypto-related artwork, comics, uh, illustrations, which I then sell as NFTs uh, on Ethereum. And I'm also a, a collector of NFTs, uh, and I try to collect 
NFTs that speak to me in some way from uh, other artists in the space? Yeah. Uh, can you remind me what the question was? Donnie? Yeah. Dude, okay. So Perchy, I bumped into Perchy a while back. One of my friends had a PFP that Perchy had drawn. And he was in the middle of making a five, a limited run of 500 PFPs individually contracted by the buyers of them for not a very high price that was supposed to show something about them that they felt. So mine ended up being an Etch-A-Sketch because I, I have memory issues and I'm not capable of like carrying um, sensory data along with me, certain types of memory. So he like made this thing that I keep in my wallet and I don't use PFPs, but I keep it there because it makes me feel like like there's there's some projection of who I am out there that is not me and that I could potentially put somewhere and be like, that's right, this is the time that thing happened with that guy and I know who I am and he knows more about me because of this. And it's really just like a really interesting marking of a moment of getting to know each other, you know? So the question I have for you, Perchy, is why do you have anything other than your PFP in your wallet? What about those things makes your life better? Well, I, I think I'd be very sad if I, if I could not collect NFTs other than my own. There's, there's so much art out there you know like from a very young age we're attracted to collectibles to art we decorate our rooms and we decorate our houses to look aesthetically pleasing to us and so i think fundamentally that's that's the reason why we're drawn to nfts it's it's something to collect uh it's a it's a signal sometimes to other people but i think most of all it's just something that in my case anyway i just if I really like a piece of art, if I really if if there's something about it that connects to me fundamentally, then then I want to own that and I want to have that be a part of my uh, my digital identity. I think that is um, there's something innately human about that that nobody talks about, but we all do. And there's a lot of these things, uh, a lot of the pieces of our personality, individually and as a group, that I think are leftovers from like almost 2 million years ago or over the course of those 2 million years where we want to decorate. Like we, we did not have homes for a while. We had like temporary homes. We lived in the woods in packs, kind of like big tribes of people. So I think decorating those places we lived allowed others to know that someone already lives here and allowed us to find that space and feel comfortable in it. And it's kind of the same reason that I have art on my walls in my apartment that I move from apartment to apartment because like this is my space and it's not my home if my stuff isn't here. I could live in a hotel room for a year and it would never feel like home because the markings of my internal or external tribe are not there with it. So I think that we have these things in a, in a physical landscape that make us feel attached or grounded somehow to where, where we are and who we are. And we're moving into a digital landscape where that's no longer possible in quite the same way. So we have these wallets full of things that like they can make our computer feel like home. Well, like I can rent a laptop and use it for a year, but it wouldn't feel like mine unless my stuff was on it. So I think somehow we're moving from, this is what I would call the metaverse, I guess. If we're moving from an IRL focused, geographically constrained life into the digital world, this is just another way that we're finding a way to make even this abstract space into something that's our own. And I think we can say that the art on our walls or the stuff equivalent that's just sitting in our wallet that isn't really on display anywhere at the moment, um, that is like our, our tribal home marking, I guess you could say. And then the PFP that we have is potentially our jewelry and tattoos and uh, animal skins, whatever flora, fauna we decorate ourselves with that like 
we'd have been roaming around with. Like if I go out hunt, hunting for wild boar and um, I see another guy out in the woods, if he, if there's 250 of us in the tribe, maybe I don't know him like super personally, but if I see he has similar markings to me, that's our home. We come from the same place. We have this like shared culture that maybe we're not supposed to be scared of each other. But if he looks a lot different than me, that maybe is someone I ought to be wary of. And the survival of my tribe depends on that. So I think that we do quite the same thing here. We're like, I know Butoshi's uh, project and I know Garrett's PFP and I know like everybody in this room, I know their PFP. So I feel at home and comfortable with them. And I know when I see a bot's PFP because it kind of looks like mine. Like no one has a person as their picture, just a, just a normal person. Um, if someone else is not participating in what we do in the way we do, we become wary of it. And I think there's something like really directly ev evolutionarily linked to that. So thanks for saying that, Perchy. That was, uh, you hit the nail right on the head right off the bat. English, what is up, man? GM, GM. Yeah, you know, I'm curious how it pertains to the collectibles in terms of the digital collectibles specifically, because we aren't in this like metaverse, right? And like people are not like looking at your wallet. I, I know, for instance, like, if anybody's heard like my spaces recently when I've either spoken on here or in other spaces, I keep using Magic the Gathering, but that's because that's what I collected or, or one of the things I collected. And I was just thinking in my head, well, like what, what, what are these different nuances? Like I don't really go show, like I don't have any right now, but if I did, and I wouldn't be averse to having like a Jazam Dijin from whatever, all this other stuff, and I paid a thousand dollars for it. It's not like I'm showing anybody, right? It's, it stays like in a vault, in my closet, whatever, but I know I have it. But here's what I'm thinking. Like it is kind of part of like your identity. Like and it's kind of like um almost like a POAP of your life, you know, in a sense that you can prove that you are somebody. Like I'm an OG Magic the Gathering person, and I can prove it to you because I own this card. And even if I'm not showing it all the time, like in my mind, I know that I have it like in my back pocket. Like it's mine. I've I've gone out, I've acquired it, I either got it really early and kept it, or I've gone out of my way to find like a really nice one. And it's, it goes back to what we were saying before with identity and, and, and these things do overlap. It's about the stories that we tell ourselves. It's not even just the fact that we're going to show it to somebody because that might happen, you know, once every year or something like, in, in fact, I did get into a conversation and I used that Jazam Dijin because I like that card a lot and somebody pulled it out on me. Like we talked to Magic the Gathering. He's like, hang on a second. I got something to show you. And so he did very much this. He, he took a picture, sent it in Discord and I was, and we chatted about it. And, and then we became stronger and closer because of it. So it again goes to what you were saying with tribes and stuff. Um, but when you're not doing that, right? Because you're not doing that all the time. It, it just reinforces that this identity, the story that you tell yourself about who you are, who you've who you've become, who you were, you know, everything that you've gone through your past. Like I've actually, you know, looked at my wallet and the stuff that I haven't sold or whatever does kind of have like that emotional resonance. And I, I was even thinking about this in terms of, because I was thinking about cars recently and I'm actually not going to buy a car, but I, I started going down this rabbit hole. It, it was funny because I was thinking, all right, well, what's important to me, you know, from a practical aspect. And, and one of the things was, that it that it didn't appreciate a lot, and, and one of the cars that came across was this Toyota eighty six. For whatever reason, it doesn't appreciate a lot. And then they had this version <laughs> that is like the special edition version, and it reminded me of like this car that one of my best friends growing up, his older brother, who I thought he was the coolest person in the world, and I always wanted to be him. 
it reminded me of his car. And now all of a sudden I'm willing to pay ten or $15,000 more when I was thinking practical, just because it reminded me, this particular collectible version reminded me of the person that I aspired to be when I was like eight or nine years old. So um, <laughs> I know that kind of sounds silly, but that's why people will spend $15,000, $10,000 for something that's digital or is just a piece of cardboard, but has some kind of significance to it. So um, that's kind of my thoughts on it. Um, it always goes back to the stories that we tell ourselves and hopefully get to tell somebody else. The burden and benefit of memory is sentiment. You have to carry around these things that sometimes end up trauma, but you get to carry around these things that make you chase being a better person or emulating things you thought were super valuable. Um, we can't get rid of it. And I think that these, the way that we collect items is often a way of passing stories on to other people without ever having to say them. It's almost like the the first I, the first concept of a meme is like finding something that embodies your thoughts deeply such that when someone else finds it, they know what you were thinking. Really interesting concept. Boo, what's happening? Oh, I read your paragraph.xyz like article link, catching up on it. And I never looked into the topic, so it was super interesting reading it because collecting really is just, like embedded into my life and everyone else's life without really thinking. Cause I wouldn't go, Oh, I'm a collector. And then you mentioned like all your art. And I look around my apartment and there's hella weeaboo animation and action figures and like Funko pops. I'm like, you know, maybe, maybe I do collect a little bit. And it's funny that you say that with tribes. Cause like if I'm in public and I see someone with like an anime figurine hanging off their backpack or a t-shirt or a reference, I'm instantly like, Oh, you're also a weeb. And then I have something I could talk to you about instantly. I'm like, oh, what's your favorite anime? Or just like instant talking points that instantly connect me to them compared to like a normal person or like wearing regular clothes without like doing much. But that's a fun topic. I think that's funny that you mentioned that specific one because that would be like a red flag for me. It's like, oh, proceed with caution. He's a weeb. Proceed with caution. He's a fucking weeb. <laughs> so I get like a red flag in my head. But um, you're cool. I fuck with you, boo. But um, again, it doesn't. It's not. It's more like a yellow light, right? <laughs> it's like let's see what's going. <laughs> Here before, we, before, before we cross this, this, this barrier, dude. Oh my God, that, that's so good. I just, I want to just uh, quickly jump in about the, the Magic the Gathering. I got into that as a kid and that was one of my very first collectibles as well. And I, I was just sitting next to a kid on the bus who was like a year or two older than me. And I thought he was the coolest kid I'd ever met because he brought this like binder of Magic cards on the bus with him. And I would just look at them every day riding on the bus. And that's, that's what got me into it. I didn't even know you could play the game. I didn't play it until years later, but I, I just started collecting them because I thought they were so cool. When we were kids, I don't know how old everybody else is here, but I'm imagining we're all old enough to smoke and young enough that we don't collect pension or unemployed, uh, you know, like senior citizens benefits wherever we are. So we all kind of fall into the same XYZ kind of category of people, I bet. And this is, we are, we are the first people to be digital native, but not digital dependent, meaning that we grew up largely without electronic devices, but we've aged with them fully. Like we've seen the entire dawn of them to some degree. And our early adult years often were already totally embedded with, with digital items. So we're the first people who might've been free range children zipping around in neighborhoods until the streetlights came on and then coming home to mom and dad for dinner, like with, with lots more freedom than anyone will ever have again until society totally crumbles and rebuilds. Um, but at the same time, we're fully aware of how to interact in these ways that like my grandmother is not and never will be. And same with my mother, even though she's not that much older than me, she like, she got her first cell phone when she was like 40, you know, like that, imagine how much of her life she had to go through before that happened. 
So to her, the world is still geographically constrained. She, her friends are in Buffalo, New York. She is going to live in Buffalo, New York until she dies because that's where her tribe is. We, confusingly, don't have a spatial tribe. We have a tribe that is connected by ideologies, potentially, or inclinations towards some things. And that's not to say that it's better or worse, but it's vastly more uh, open, I guess, unless you're in some sort of a social media echo chamber, then it's definitely not open. But like, there's no geographic constraint here. English, yeah, go for it. Well, no, it's just interesting. It's a little bit off topic, but like, I've noticed, and I don't know if it's because um, you know, people working from home or, or whatever the case, but I, I've noticed there's like an uptick in like how much people, you know, mention travel as opposed to like even the 90s or like the early 2000s. And I, this is a little off topic, but I, you brought it up. I wonder if like this digital kind of stuff that you're mentioning that we're like online, we picture ourselves in different places. We have probably friends. Um, I, I know all of us probably do um, all over the world. Um, it, that's kind of made us more global instead of thinking, because that is interesting. Like I do, I do know some people tend to just always live in one place, but that doesn't seem to be the case now. And it's interesting how how this digital type of thing, like we grew up with, you know, first, you know, whatever video games, then you know, the spawn of the internet and all this other stuff. So we live this life that's not necessarily, even if we're physically in one place, mentally we might be somewhere else, and maybe that. Um, just lends itself to wanting to go other places and not being married to 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 one physical location. So um, just kind of wanted to highlight that. We've been moving as a species for since we've existed foot by foot by foot, just like one foot in front of the other, moving slowly over the course of time, looking for new food and new resources. And it's made us traverse the entire globe over like, you know, a couple million years. But just like technology, if the first inch of technological progression takes a thousand years, then the next inch takes a hundred, the next takes 10, and the next takes one until you're down to each inch taking a second or less to go by. And I think we're approaching that time that I think a lot of thought leaders would refer to as the singularity, the part where we become data, you know, like we become one with it because it moves so quickly. And this happened with people just moving. Like you got, we got in boats and we went across the ocean and then we got in airplanes and we went across the ocean way faster. And we then we got telecommunications and satellite technology that allowed us to be in the same place. At this, It's literally teleportation without physical motion. It is teleportation. So it's allowing us to, to move data and move ideologies and ideas and love and hate at a speed that we've never seen before. And it's confusing. That's why we have to have conversations like this. But Toshi, go ahead. Dude, I was going to say, based on like evolution and technology, like everything I've been learning the past six months and just catching up all the news, like all of the advancements, and particularly in AI, because that's what I'm focused on right now, and just in general. But like, we're, I feel like we're about to hit an evolution in technology or at least software development and like the efficiency and speed of which humans get shit done. That's going to amp up everything we see in like, Probably now, probably within like the end of the year, start of next year, because there's so many programs, for example, like I use cursor.so and it's a coding program that basically becomes your coding brain. And like the way I code now is just by thinking of a concept and getting it done step by step with the help of AI. So I don't really think about specifics. I just kind of like think the fun parts of what I want to make. And I'm easily able to get it done with like very little education in terms of like learning coding. And I can't even imagine like, the millions of software devs we have now also have access to tools like these. So what are we going to come up with? Like how efficient can we get things done? And like how fast is technology going to start improving? Especially when we have stuff that could make that improvement faster. I don't know. It's just getting crazy. So it's just 
overwhelming to think about, but it's also exciting. The conversation I, I jumped in briefly with Garrett last night, who has his hand up right now, we're going to go to next, was about just this in the music industry specifically. And it was about um, replacing live shows with digital production and replacing live drummers with, you know, the ghost of Steve Jobs on Logic Pro or whatever. In much the same way that when Microsoft Excel was developed, it reduced our need for individual accountants. We don't need as many people to bookkeep, right? Because our software helps us. And we've been doing this all along. The synthesizer didn't replace the orchestra, but did it? it in a way, it sort of did. Garrett, go for it. Oh, no, totally. Yeah, it's... Uh, no, having the... I think it's one of the reasons why I like this whole space, you know, this emerging field of technology. You know, there's this whole... You, you said two words that really i think stand out it's like one you said tribe a few times and exploration right and those are those seem to be two very inter i don't know i don't know what word to use here but they're those factors are very outstanding like in crypto i've seen things move faster here from what I see is I'm I'm coming from a more psychological, social, social psychology point of view, or it's just watching the behavior of the space. Obviously, I'm I'm a participant as well. And what's very interesting is I have even found myself on the good side and the bad side of it, where it's like, on one hand, sometimes tribalism is great, right? You people are out here to take risk and you know do something new. Uh, the downside is that we become so tribal that then we also become very close minded. And so it's this very interesting thing to just watch where it's like, yes, we are in this digital age and there is data that supports uncannedly, right? That there's more information available. Like I don't need to know trigonometry. I can just go online and look up Sokotoa, right? And be like, yeah, cool, sign over, you know, opposite over hypotenuse, right? Whatever, right? Um, but I don't have to, like, memorize it anymore. And what's weird is, like, as much as that's, like, this incredible, right? It's like, holy crap, right? It's very cyborg. It's very much like you can just jump on your phone and get information, download that crap into your brain. It's just going through your eyes, right? Or your ears, right? But it is strange how this tr it really does not always play out that way. It seems to almost play out that way less. Like here in crypto, it's like, again, right? It's just, I almost wish someone, maybe I should write a book on it, right? Like I feel like a psychology paper could legitimately be written just observing crypto because it's, it's insane. It, the confirmation biases are unreal like you know what i mean like people who've never seen art in their life are like this is the best art in the world like based on what like because somebody paid 40 grand to some person who knows how to use adobe like they're not an oil paint like it's a very opinionated thing right i'm, I'm throwing my opinion into this so i don't want anyone to take that as fact but you know what i mean it's like and so to watch all of this play out has just been such an interesting thing. I'm into it. Personally, I love the whole idea and I'm on board, right? But I can't help but look at some of it and stand back and be like, man, wait, this is kind of ridiculous. Like people are just like, you know, Bitcoin max. Ma we have the term maxi, right? I love it, right? We got a term for it and everything. That's tribalism at its best, right? <laughs> so I don't know. I'll land my plane there for now. <laughs> <laughs> 
we're hominids, right? We are in the category of great apes with the other great apes who we look upon as lesser because they follow what we would consider to be urges rather than intent. Um, I think we're doing quite the same thing. We just do it in a much more complicated way, and we do it with different trinkets, different items that we that we walk around with. Um, and it's, I think it's easy to become closed-minded or get into an echo chamber, but at the same time, there's so much more data being spit at you that like it's also easier to get out of it. It's easier to, I don't know, let's say you live in a suburb and everybody wherever you live is looks exactly like you. Well, imagine the internet as the city that you now live in where a lot of people don't look like you and you're exposed whether you like it or not to a lot of things that you disagree with. And on a base level, like from behind the windshield, you're honking at people until you see someone get out of the car and you go, oh, shit, that's a person. There's a person. They don't look like me. They have a totally separate experience and it, it develops some sort of empathy that I think we don't get otherwise. So like being on stage versus being in the listener crowd I think you can you can hear the people speak on stage and you can sort of judge them for what they're saying. But as soon as you're on the speaker panel, your attitude changes because it's like you're in the car with them a little bit. Um, there's something about the way that we're undergoing a collection and tribal change that I think we're doing the exact same thing. And it's not bad. I guess my point here is that we like to think that technology is like every generation is like, ah, the new the young kids are idiots and they can't figure anything out. Well, they can. Because, like, imagine if um, in the 1950s, how long it would take to get everyone on the planet breaking into the same kind of car at the same time and stealing it. Has that ever happened before? Does anybody own a Kia or know someone who owns a Kia? Everyone's Kia in North America was stolen in the last six months. And that was done by Zoomers on TikTok. <laughs> it's like, that's... Wait, what? Dude, you didn't hear about yeah, this? Yeah, I missed out on this. No, no, no. I'm, not uh, I'm, I'm too old. I'm, I'm actually considered a, a geriatric millennial, which I embrace that. So I don't think I'm allowed yeah, on the TikTok. So. I'm, I'm the latest. Gen Z, but I haven't seen all my TikTok. Wait, so nobody, nobody heard about this? Yeah, dude. So there was like the Kia boys or something. I don't know if it was like. I have definitely heard about this. Yeah, this was a while ago. It's still happening, <laughs> but it was like. It's still that makes sense ago, that yeah. it's still happening. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 That so someone sense. figured out that you could steal um, a lot of modern Kias and I think Hyundai's actually because they're kind of the same manufacturer of some part or whatever. Somebody figured out that you could steal um, uh, a Kia using just like a USB drive or something. Like you could just figure out how to do it, and it was really easy. So tons of my friends' Kias got stolen and taken on joyrides and crashed into stuff. And every Kia dealership in our local area, in, up in Rochester, New York, uh, was backed up. If you had a broken window in your Kia, three months. You're not getting your car back for three months if you take it to the dealership because everybody's, everybody's thing was so messed up. And it was just a bunch of kids who were like transmitting this information in 1.8 second snippets to other kids. And the speed of data transfer was insanely quick. So... If we can say that negative, and this is, I think this is the argument against quantum computing in a lot of ways too. People are scared of AI and quantum computing because it's going to give us resources we didn't have to do bad later, but it also gives us the same defensive resources. So like, just like everything else, like if, if one side of World War II got the jet engine, the other side eventually got it too. And now we were, we have an equal fight. You know what I'm saying? So I think that all we're doing right now, and I, I don't mean to minimize it is doing the same thing we've been doing in very different, faster, crazier ways, becoming more of a hive mind than we've ever been before. So collecting, 
or trinkets or whatever are just another way of us tribally identifying ourselves and others. And uh, people change their PFPs and they change their collections to to mimic the things they've decided to learn or decided to become a part of. English, you want to go? Well, yeah, no, I, I think there's a couple of other components just that I wanted to highlight on collecting. I think, you know, we've talked a lot about like storytelling, tribalism, things that are internal, things that are meaningful. But, and I don't want to say that this is a darker side, but it is part of our thinking, our psychology. And you can really see it like in a bull market, you know, so we'll, we'll bring it back to digital collectibles. There might be stuff that you don't want particularly, but everybody else wants it. And now you want it more because that's what everybody else wants. And you might kind of vibe with it, but there's kind of like this thing in your brain and you might be thinking, well, that's just speculation. And But in your mind, you want it because, and you want, it's a kind of like the different version of saying it the way like Gary, Gary V called it, like the flex, the digital flex. And that became like a big thing that he was, you know, evangelizing. But, it, and it's basically that. And it's to say that I've been able to acquire it. And it's interesting because I know that I've held stuff for, and I was like, okay, well, I, I own this, right? And it's out of the reach out of certain people. And now the price just went up. It's like, okay, I can sell it for more. But then sometimes the price, and you see this across the board, there's so many people that didn't sell the top of anything. But it's not because it didn't get to the price that you wanted. You just kind of kept saying, okay, well, now this is actually more valuable because it's showing that more people desire it. So I thought that was interesting. Another as aspect of, of collecting, and, and you brought it up when you kind of got into this um, <laughs> physics world, you know, is that, um, you know, and, and you mentioned you can't, you know, um, you know, there's a balance to things, right? So as technology progresses for the darker, we can defend ourselves. And, and I really believe this in general, just that you can't gain anything in life without losing something and you can't lose something without gaining something. And, and that could be anything, relationships, money, um, anything. So when you have, it, it just, it speaks to like the importance of collectibles because you can only have so many things, right? And you can only keep so many things in your mind. So the fact that you've chosen these to keep on and to hold on to has a little bit more significance. Um, just because there is scarcity in the world or scarcity in terms of things that you can even acquire or want to acquire or even give the mental capacity to. Um, so just the scarcity component, I think, is an important thing to highlight with collectibles, that there is limited stuff in our brain, um, in the physical world, and what we choose is important, probably more to ourselves than anybody else, but... Uh, we do kind of live in our own brains, or at least I do. Yeah, no, that was actually perfect. I was like, uh, you were like hitting the key, some key points, and and it further made me want to highlight this. So, and this is where the curveball comes in, and it's the money, and that's it. Really, is crazy how that that one thing, in my opinion, is like the poison and is the poison in the well, because it's strange how, like, I have a lot of stuff that I collect for a number of reasons, right? I probably cover, I probably have all of them. I have the stuff from when I was young. I have uh, stuff that I think could be worth money. Uh, I have the digital stuff, right? Okay, right? So, I mean, I, I probably have just about most of this covered, right? In the, in the general sense of collecting and owning and holding any number of things, right? But that's the twist, right? Like, if you love something, you love a painting, you love whatever the heck it is, right? There could be, any, I think the best one, right, is like no amount of money, right? It's like this thing, I love it so much, you'd have to give me something un ridiculous, right? So it is strange, too, how um, I have a friend, too, who just started getting into custom furniture. He's an artist. He's really amazing while there. And it was funny because we were just having this conversation like a few weeks ago. And I was encouraging him, too, because I was like, you know, it only takes 
one person who wants that thing. There are how many people on planet Earth and how many people in the United States, et cetera, et cetera, right? And it really only takes one person who has basically the capability and that's it, right? Like, so this means they have so much money and they want it so bad that they're willing to pay you an extraordinary amount of money, right? Instead of buying the $5,000 Lazy Boy, they want a $50,000 or $100,000 custom piece of furniture that nobody else has, right? And it is just this kind of like badge of honor. But it's such a it's such a strange twist. Like in anthropology, there's like that twist is also it happens. Uh, I think the most common one people have heard of would be like the Aztecs, right? Like they like adorned gold. They loved it. They used they they dressed their chiefs and their all the privileged people, and it was used as badges of honor, et cetera, et cetera, right? But it wasn't a currency. It had no actual direct trade value against food because. Hello, you need food, right? And the gold thing is just gold. So like it shows that you did something that nobody else did and it probably gets you laid like a lot, right? So it's like amazing. Like you want it for sure, but you can't buy it. You got to earn it. That sounds like a and ton of value. It, right? Just, like just Garrett, what, I wanted to highlight that that sounds like a utility. ton of value, buddy. Um, you see what utility. I'm saying? <laughs> like that's the value, but you put the money in there and now people can buy something that gets them late. And that fucks everything up. <laughs> I don't even know if we should keep talking. You just—that's all the value we're going to get. Well, <laughs> sorry, English. Go ahead, man. Garrett. I, I I do believe that like the answer to like ninety-five percent of any question in the world can be answered with either sex or money. So that's that's probably not far from uh <laughs> from from the truth, my friend. These are the things we love. Reproducing is, is kind of important if you want to stick around. <laughs> yeah, right. If we didn't have the will to reproduce, there would be no more people, and there'd be no point in doing any of this and to piggyback on that we want what other people want i think that there's a lot going on with that statement um imagine if again let's let's go back to like a million years ago again we want what other people want because if we look at a place and there's no people there <laughs> let's say i'm like the leader of a tribe and i go there's no one there let's go there and all the food's poisonous that's why there's no one there because they all died right so like we like to look at things that are getting traction and uh, hubbub, like you, you, this, you walk by a bar, there's no one in it. You go, I'm, I'm not going in there. But you walk by a bar that there's not a seat open in, you're like, I'm trying to get in there. There's no really good reason for that because we all know that the booze is the same at every bar, but somewhere in the back of our head, we go, that one must not be great because no one's there. <laughs> Working in the restaurant industry for 20 years, the only thing that you do when so you seat the first table in the restaurant, you put them in the front window. You want people to know that there are other people there. And to just touch on the money thing before I pass this on, because this is not a monologue, money is just the barter system with a battery pack attached to it. It's the ability to store how much of something you, desirable you've ever had or, had or have the ability to get. Where like normally I make a bunch of corn and I have to trade it for wheat or wheels or you know iron goods or shoes or something like that. But now I can like turn it into money and save that for later when I need something again. Uh, we'll revisit this somewhere. Perchy, what's up? Yeah, just wanted to touch on a few things. Really, really interesting where the conversation is headed now. Um, I think the term is mimetic desire. Uh, when you have like someone has something and then it just becomes like what everybody wants. Uh, sort of like this, yeah, meme essentially, uh, what memes are. And, and this idea of money, uh, if we're talking about collectibles and how old and fundamental collectibles are to humans, 
Uh, money is right up there with it. And in, in fact, money is, is almost one of the defining characteristics of human species. Um, you have like different civilizations arrive at money uh, separately, uh, civilizations that are completely like cut off from one another, but all of them will sort of arrive at the, the concept of money because it's just something like collectibles that is, is very fundamental and very just so useful to humans that once you uh, discover it, um, you know, you can't undiscover that. Can't unring a bell. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say Pandora's box, right? Cats out the bag. Boom. What's up? I was going to say, you mentioned that bar analogy where it's like that bar is full and you want to go in even though it's full. Is that related to the concept of like you want what you literally can't have? Like, why do humans do that? Why do we, why do we, why do we have that desire? And I'm just asking because I'm actually learning a lot from you and I feel like other founders can learn a lot from just the concept of collectability for their projects. So this Man, I don't even I don't know particularly what the answer is to that. But the the unobtainable is like when other people have stuff like you don't want what you can't have when no one else wants it or has it. You want what you can't have because so many other people want it or have it. Right. So I think it's this exact same concept where when you walk by and there's if there's a line out the door for a place, you're like, well, I better get in line and see what all the hubbub's about. But if there's no one in a place, well, it's just an indicator that there must not be something valuable there. So I think that those two statements right, that, are just analogous, really. So in high school, when I got my first, I had like no riz, right? And then I got my first girlfriend. And then why like a week after I got my first girlfriend, I had like five girls DM me. Like that doesn't that's, make a, that's a trick that girls do. They wait. They, so like girls are, are much more tribal than us. So that's like a whole trick on them, dude. They're just like evil like that. So they all like, oh, I, do I like Donnie? Yeah, I like Donnie. I like Donnie. Okay, but nobody's going to tell Donnie that, right? Like the moment that Donnie starts dating, then we're going hit to him, him, hit him up in the DMs and be like, hey, you know, like what's going on? So I just think that that... I think that just speaks to their evil nature, dude. That's that's my that's, but no, it's actually the same concept. And Donnie, you know, spoke to this, you know, in 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 his article, you know, that he he publishes before the show to kind of have a theme. It's like this this thing where it's like, okay, well, if everyone does this at the same time, that might be dangerous for like, you know, it's just the livelihood of you know humanity. So there's different segments. So it's the same concept of the restaurant, right? Like. If there's nobody in the restaurant, either the service sucks, the food sucks, because you're not going to do that about a restaurant you know about. Like if there's no one there and you love the restaurant, you'll be like, people are idiots. They, this is a hidden gem, right? But it's when you don't know the restaurant. And to the fact that like even happy hour itself is not just about acquiring money um, in, you know, during downtimes, which is, that's half the reason. The other half is to pack the restaurant. So when people do come for dinner, then you have a packed restaurant. And that's the psychology. behind. Yeah. Maybe I should have been saying I was married the whole time I was single. That probably would have been way more effective than just being single. Cause like nobody wants the, the single. <laughs> that that may be too extreme. Uh, is it though? Like, they, 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 it sounds like a life hack. I, well, not really. It's not, it's, it's not, it's not, not from like a, well, I don't know. I, <laughs> going down way too much. Funny, collect, collect maybe not, stuff. but. <laughs> <laughs> but but you definitely yeah you definitely want to to prove you know that you're that you're <laughs> that your proverbial bar can be full right so like what does that mean that you do have a girlfriend or you're on a date right and it, it, and that makes you way more attractive than if you're single that, that, there's a lot of irony behind that so but, uh, i mean okay maybe we can actually loop this back around to the the topic that we're talking about and i'm not trying to force this in it's just popped into my head if you are a person who doesn't decorate their body or their space, do you look unattached to a tribe and thereby unable to be attached to a tribe? Boom. I think we just hit some some new ground there. I would bet that this was selected yeah, out of us. The, the ability to be clean and light and mobile and solo is not preferable 
evolutionarily. What's preferable is being able to and desirable in a tribe or able to assign to and desirable to be in a tribe. Yeah, Garrett. It, it's something that I think I honestly feel is something my life kind of does embody, but it it's, there is this other thing and it's kind of rare to a you know degree, but if you aren't overly identified, you are therefore enabled to choose. Once you have over identified, let's say a face tattoo, right? Like that can be a tricky one today in today's world, not as much. It has diminished greatly, you know, but it still has enough stigma, right? That it's like, okay, right. Think about it. You know, does this guy have like Norteños, you know, know, whatever. Right. So it is interesting how, because I've traveled a lot and I honestly have taken quite literally, you know, went in Rome to with me and used it in my best service. Right. Because it's important to not only enjoy your time, right. And actually like, you know, relish in it, but it's important to not be kicked out everywhere you go, right? Because that's going to fuck everything up, right? So you have to blend in a little bit, right? Like if they wear sandals, go down to the fucking store they go to, buy the same sandals, right? Like everybody's wearing them. Fantastic. When in Rome, everybody loves these sandals for some reason in this place. We're going to get some sandals, right? Magically, that can make you blend in. People are like, wow, cool. Yeah, right. I don't know. It's like it, it, there is a a group of people, I think kind of like myself, nomads, I've lived, I spent probably about eight years of my life living nomadically. Um, and yeah, like I learned to not do that. I, I, at one point in time was super, super punk rock, like, you know, like Mohawk studded jacket, you know, patchwork pants. And I learned quickly as I got older that like, this was kind of fucking shit up, right? People were like, look at this guy, right? He must be trouble. And I'm like, I'm not trouble. I'm a nice guy. <laughs> like, right? <laughs> and people just wouldn't have it, right? Because they were like, look at this kid. He looks homeless or something, right? So it's funny when I actually became homeless, literally by choice, mind you. And I was a no- <laughs> just total nomad. Dude. I did the opposite. I like had a t-shirt for hitchhiking, right? And it was just like button-up t-shirt, right? <laughs> so I don't know. There is, I think there's a beauty to the people who climb out of the tribe and realize that everyone's just being either dogmatic or there's group think or some form of mania or hysteria. Like I, that's where I've tried to push myself. I do have some tattoos on my hand that do kind of gives me some flavor, but I'm, I'm kind of glad I never overdid it. Job <laughs> Garrett, let, let me ask you this, Garrett, do you still own anything from your punk rock stuff? Like whether I it's like a original studded jacket in a box from middle school and high school. And that's, okay. that's your collectible. That's Dude, how we tied it yeah, back. I was just so going to say that's, that. That's, <laughs> that is a collectible. Yeah. Right? From your that's past, your collectible of, which is your identification with a certain tribe that you still identify enough with to hang on to it, to remember that you were there. Exactly. Well, what I was going to say about this was that I, when I was writing the the article that precluded this space, um, I came up with. I like to start at the very bottom and then build something up to the top. Like, where, what, what in the world are we talking about? And why are we talking about it? And then get into the details later. 
And I started with the idea of a binary switch about liking or disliking something. And then I realized it's not a switch with humans. It's a dial, but it's still binary. There's still one thing, a polar negative and a polar positive, and maybe there's a dial in between. And we talk a lot about left curve, right curve, basically the bell curve um, concept in the crypto space. And I think that somewhere in that median, that 80% in the middle or the 60% in the middle, is all those people you were talking about, Garrett, who are willing to assign to something or a lot of things. And they change it as they go through life because it is better to be accepted by a bunch of people, I mean, typically in society, than just one specific group. But there will always be, by nature of there being a 60 or 80% in the middle, there's a 10% at the top and the bottom who are extreme negative or positive in whatever, whether it's they dislike olives or they love olives and they will never talk to anyone who doesn't also absolutely love every olive. Um, everybody knows these people, right? And they need to exist in order to push boundaries and feel through society. And the point I was trying to make before this was only that if you are totally unwilling to take any stance on anything and you're a blank slate, you're nothing. You're the empty bar. No one will talk to you. I mean, much the same way if you only play speed metal at your bar, maybe it also won't ever be full because that's a pretty small clientele. That's the 10%, right? But if we can appeal to like 60 to 80% of people, that's probably the coolest way we can find to navigate uh, this digital or geographic landscape that we came from. Well, I was just going to ask you a question. So like, are you saying that if you try to appeal to everybody, then you appeal to nobody? Well, there is that in the restaurant industry. If you try to make everyone happy, you're going to make no one happy because you have to serve a bunch of group. But outside of the service industry, no. I think if you wear things you like, like, okay, let's just say you <laughs> refuse to wear clothes. You won't. Uh, you only live in the woods. You don't like, there's no single piece of society, modern society markings that you're willing to put on. Um, no one's going to trust you because you've decided to be disconnected from everything. And that's what I mean when I say tribally. So I have paintings in my, in my house and it doesn't really matter what those paintings are. It matters that they're there because if there was nothing, imagine what kind of a psychopath lives in a totally empty apartment right? Even that yeah, level you're of unassignment is just self-putting, <laughs> you know? So I think that these things are our you way. You might not recognize the art, but you know, yeah, like saying, and that means something to you, right? absolutely yeah. anything is better than refusing to say something. Boo, what's up? I was say, you asked like, why do we collect other NFTs? Sorry, controversial word, in our wallet. And I think I mostly collect different just inscriptions or even on ETH, just NFTs, because I like having access to all the different communities and bouncing around and seeing what each different tribe is up to since we're all in the same space. But like, what do you guys do specifically? I just like being nosy. Also, I have nine cat NFTs I collected just because I really like nine cat when it came out. I think everything that you just said is exactly representative of everything we've been talking about. And I think all of us, if we, if we dig down deep enough, no matter what it is we're collecting, we're collecting things we align with, right? Like even if, even if I, I have NFT, well, no, in this case, ordinals, I guess I still have NFTs too. I have a lot of things that don't really gain me access to anything anymore. They just were like me supporting a friend. And uh, I don't even know if that friend's art or project went anywhere or if it was ever supposed to, or if it was just something that we really liked talking about and saying and like meant something at the time. And sometimes I collect things that are passes into a particular ecosystem. And sometimes, I don't know, the paintings I have, like, like if we're going to go away from ordinals and NFTs altogether, the paintings I have in my apartment are just two things I find visually stunning. And as a person who can't, I have no ability to remember images. Every time I look at them is like my first time seeing them all over again. So like, 
I, I honestly don't know how this applies to a human being in general. I just, that's why I want to hear why everyone else is doing it because I know I'm kind of like a weird robot. I think we're all weird robots. <laughs> yeah. R- robots made of meat. That's the weirdest kind of robot. If you ask me, I actually ask my kid this every once in a while. And it's like, if you know what you know now about collectibles, okay. And you think, okay, well, what do I wish I would have done a little bit? And you can't, you can't do that, right? Obviously, you can't like recreate that identically. But in my mind, I'm like, well, there has to be a way to correlate it, right? So it's like, okay, we wish we would have bought DeLoreans when they were like five grand in 1992 and considered trash, right? We wish we would have held on to Charizard Pokemon cards, right? I am so. Oh, I every once in a while I get almost frustrated about it. It's like, what the crap am I supposed to buy today and hold on to for 20 years that could magically be worth money, right? Because the basis is just <clears throat> popularity of whatever generation exists. And and to me, it's just kind of like, what is so, what is gonna be so nostalgic that when some guy who's like or girl is, you know. 14 years old now when they're 40 and they're a millionaire that they're just going to have to have. Does that make sense? Carrot, you know, I think ironically is the thing that you would never think that anybody would really care about it. Like, I think the things that become the most collectible and the most valuable is the things that nobody cares. It was never made to be a collectible and it has like certain significance. So like if we'll use an NFT <laughs> example, it's, you know, crypto punks are doing well. Um, they're highly regarded. Nobody thought of them as collectibles back then. They were traded for two, three hundred dollars for years just because like of the cool factor. And so, and it spawned off like a whole like industry of you know PFPs. Uh, a two thousand eight, two thousand seven, whatever it was the first generation iPhone package. Right? Nobody thought like, okay, this is going to be. Maybe a few people did um, that are like Apple people that collect you know, stuff like that, but that sold 150 grand, right? So like, that doesn't mean that you can do that now and buy like the iPhone 14, keep it there because people already have the idea. And then in 50 years, that one will be at least worth, you know, 10% of it. No, it's going to be worth nothing or, or just the same amount because that idea is already there. It has to be something that people just thought was cool at one point and there's a certain scarcity around it, right? And then it becomes kind of valuable. So, you know, CryptoPunks, 10,000 collection and probably less because some have no absolutely yeah this is what's interesting about the digital collectible is that in i i think you said it fantastically i i you know it's not even supposed to be a collectible in the first place is one of the caveats right and i think that that engages a specific factor that's very outstanding which is People throw it away. People mistreat it, right? And that's why you have like barn find cars, right? Because some guy put it in the dang barn and it's in good condition, right? So it is, that's one thing that I always wonder about, right? Because in the facet of what we've seen so far, scarcity has a lot to do with the destruction of supply, which is done unintentionally. Right. So it's it's very. Yeah, it's it's funny how. Yeah, you said it right. It's like it, they almost are never supposed to be that. In the yeah. First if place. we're going for what we, if we're trying to fast forward to what people are going to want in the future that we have access to right now. First of all, if you were to buy a DeLorean 
at list price in 1981 and then sell it today for what it's worth, you really would have only made like 15 grand in now money, which is like a thousand dollars back then. So honestly, the upkeep of keeping it for so like, there is no safe bet because the context changes so regularly that you never know what's going to do what, like if you remember, does anybody remember Amiga back in the day, the Amiga computer? Yeah. This is the fact that no one's emoting to this at all uh, is an indicator that I'm correct. Amiga invented the desktop. It was like it was a battle between Amiga, Mac, and you know IBM at the time, um, or Amiga, Apple, and IBM at the time for dominance in the computer market. And Amiga fell off for almost no reason at all. It was probably just marketing on Apple's uh, side that just. But Apple didn't like. Apple and IBM didn't make the desktop. Amiga did. But where's Amiga now? Right, like that. That's not worth anything. So I think it's all just like whatever happens happens. And if you were accidentally uh, luckily enough to get in somewhere when you, some, no one else wanted to be there and then everybody wanted to be there. Like if you went to the bar that was empty and then everybody piled in, good on you. But I don't think there's any way to figure that out. Uh, we're going to go with Miko and then Perchy. Miko, what's happening? Uh, yeah, but actually there are like a lot of uh, a lot of common things in terms of collectibles that uh, during all the, uh, all the POV shirt like bang to my mind. So First of all, as you said, this is uh, basically uh, a lot of a lot lottery ticket usually because I remember the example of the uh, ET Atari game that was like not the best well made like years ago and it was all in the dumpster. But due to the scarcity and the, due to the story that was made together with it, uh, then it become became much much more. Uh, sought for. So this is this is one thing, and the other one that really, uh, really uh, I have every time I had of my eyes when you were saying about either iPhones or DeLorean, like the secret sauce for this is like nostalgia and the emotions that usually uh, people had through. Uh, like either uh, growing with certain things or remembering or associating say, certain things with uh, uh, with certain emotions. So nostalgia is like a secret sauce for this. The story. That's that's the thing. I I totally forgot to bring that word up again this time. Everything is about the story. Uh, everything we do in our lives, what we end up writing, like what people say about us during our eulogy. What were you? What did you do? It's not about what you had. I mean, in some cases, maybe it's about what you had or what you built, but really everything we do and everything we collect and everything we wear and portray ourselves is about the story that we've gone through and thereby everyone before us has gone through. Perchy, what's up? Well, you just gave me the perfect uh, segue there uh, with um, Robbie Barrett, the AI artist who uh, had his NFTs. Um, he was trying to hand them out, I think, outside of Sotheby's. Uh, for free to anyone who just wanted to take, you know, this piece of paper from him and collect this this NF this AI NFT. And he was sort of, uh, I, I gather, like a um, kind of a groundbreaking artist in terms of being one of the first to use AI in, in a certain way. I, I can't uh, speak on all the details there, but people were just throwing these in the trash and uh, they were getting locked. And then years later, um, now they're worth just an incredible sum of money. And I think a, a big part of that is that story that uh, about about how this happened, right? How, and about him giving these out for free and people, you know, scorning that idea. Uh, I, I I'm sure that that story has something to do with the current value of them. 
and someone's grandmother in the year 2090 will have gotten one of those and been the only person who didn't throw it out. And then that kid and all of their kids are going to go to college for free because of the donation that they made to some art museum that cared about it because of the story, because someone made that thing first and everybody wanted to be a part of it after they already knew that it was cool. Collectibles, I think, enable us to partake in a larger story than is just ourselves. And I think it's mandatory that we do that because every human alone can't be a civilization. Every human that relates to another human can form subgroups and very large groups of people that all agree on something or at least have some fundamental similar ideology that we're all poking around and ways to relate to and learn from one another. Um, if that's all everybody has to say, I think this is a really good place to wrap it up. And I'd like to thank everybody who showed up today. I'm, I'm going to do these with very short notice in the future because I feel like a week's too long and 72 hours is too, like everything goes at just such light speed these days that I'm going to tag people, not who are in the um, the map. I'll tag you, I guess, in another post, but I'm just going to tag people I think might have a lot to say about the subject. And if you're not a person who gets tagged. The tagging helps a lot. That's why, that's why I hopped. It's on notice. And I was like, oh, okay, back. I'll do that. I always worry that I'm going to bother people with that. So I don't, I don't like to like, you know, I don't want to blow everybody's phone up, but I'll tag everybody once in a yeah, while blow it up, when bro. I think it's something they'd love. And if you didn't get tagged, you're still welcome up if you think you have a lot to say about the subject, because there is no centralized authority deciding what is correct here. This is just an exploration of a bunch of topics that we all engage in on a daily basis, and no one is wrong. Um, that being said, this has been the episode number four about collectibles of Don't Say NFT, the show where someone always says NFT first. My name is Donnie Clutterbuck. Uh, Crypto Sapiens helped us produce this and Bankless Dow helped fund it. I love you and have a great day and I'll see you all on the internet. This has been another episode of Don't Say NFT, the show where we usually don't say NFT. Thanks again to Crypto Sapiens, Bankless Dow. Have a great day, everybody.